Welcome to Cinema and the Psyche, episode two. This time we're going to be talking about the psyche. Last time was primarily cinema. Um, I'm outside. Hopefully the ambient noise will not cause us problems. Hopefully the wind will not mess with my microphone, which is the iPhone. So... I wanted to talk about the psyche, and I guess what I mean by the psyche, because uh, I was doing a little search online, and psyche, the term, seems to be constantly related to Carl Jung's theories about um, the unconscious, and psychology, and archetypes, and so the psyche. That's not the kind of psyche I'm talking about. Psyche, I mean, it overlaps. It overlaps. For me, psyche, the term, is simply referring to the individual. So I use psyche because the individual is not just a simple, material, mechanistic, biological entity. There's more to it. What I want to discuss really is the artist and the audience member and so the subject matter is the psyche so my my view on this um, is not going to be according to mainstream academia probably a large portion of people will not agree initially with my conception of the individual. Um, I think in the West we're very much confined by um, mainstream science. Uh, In the East it's far easier. Uh, The East have deeper understandings and yet it has no place in modern mainstream science. So in any case, my, my presentation of the psyche and its interaction with cinema must include this subtle body or the nature of subtle energies. Um, you know, you have Bernardo Bertolucci saying that the power of film is such that it picks up not only what's in front of the camera, but it picks up everything around it as well. So this is Bernardo Bertolucci. Then you have, you know, one of the greatest lessons I feel I have learned about making movies comes from Francis Ford Coppola and his experience, as we see it, as we have, you know, 
can interact with it. I wasn't there. But Hearts of Darkness and the movie itself. The lesson that I gathered there is that, and I've heard him speak about this specifically, is that the way by which you go about making the movie becomes part of the movie. So all of the stuff that doesn't necessarily appear on screen in the production design or in the dialogue or on camera, just like Bertolucci's comment, it picks up everything. Um, all of this stuff somehow infuses itself into the movie. And we can see that the way Apocalypse Now was made, the conditions under which it was made, is quite possibly one of the greatest aspects of the movie itself, although largely it's an intangible if you're just analyzing, you know, scene by scene what's in the frame and you're breaking it down and you're saying this person's there and this is there and they're talking about this. So this appears to be a significant aspect in my view of filmmaking. It really appears that the process of making the movie, often the, it's, it's very common to hear that the, the mood that permeated the set somehow influenced the outcome. So for me, in my analyzation, this has to do with subtle energies, the subtle platform. Uh, actors uh, need to be thinking what's happening within them. They need to be there. If they're not there internally, there is a difference in the way it's perceived. You can tell a person who's just delivering a line and a person who could say nothing else because they that's them at that moment. So to me, this is an important aspect of the psyche and the individual's interaction with cinema. Up front, as the artist or filmmaker, uh, because what's happening within you and within the people around you ends up as part of the movie and as the audience member, although they may not be able to pinpoint it, they're receiving that subtle energy that somehow is being transferred. So this adds, in my opinion, and for my own filmmaking, this is highly relevant, this adds a dimension that largely I've, I've only seen alluded to, you know, and Coppola's example of the way in which you make the movie becomes part of the movie is one of the most, you know, profound lessons I've, you know, absorbed. So I think this also makes sense why, I mean, I, I would hate to think that Spielberg hears me criticize his work, and I'm sure he would never listen to this podcast, but in any case, for me, Munich is my favorite Steven Spielberg work. 
Um, and I haven't figured out exactly why it is. Uh, the flashbacks... Is it the flashbacks to the, the terrorists... Um, the terrorist event that happens throughout the movie... It, to me, it's a little uncomfortable, but, you know, I would never conceive of how to do it differently. I would never want to even suggest it. Just for me, Munich is my favorite work of his. It has some energy or, like, dynamic vibrancy. Whereas something like Lincoln and Warhorse. I mean, I love Daniel Day-Lewis, but and his performance is always impeccable. But Warhorse and Lincoln, to me, feel like flat movies. They just feel somewhat flat. And my feeling is that the conditions under which Munich was made contributed to the exciting nature of that movie. Whereas Warhorse and Lincoln, I imagine, were far more controlled. And I just get the sense that he was so, he's so in control of his process, especially for those two movies, that that feeling somehow makes it into the movie and there's nothing so edgy about it. Whereas in Munich, I, I, I think, you know, I haven't studied in depth, but I think... You know, the schedule was rushed. He rushed through that one more so than maybe other projects. Uh, it looks like a lot on location. So I can only imagine that the process of making it included a lot more edge and having to run with it than the other movies. And in my opinion, this is why uh, Munich is such a great movie. The other two for me are somewhat flat in their experience. I love Steven Spielberg's work, so I don't exactly mean to be critical. But I mean every artist. You know, I love Jimi Hendrix's, you know, body of work too, and a lot of times he was off, you know, a genius, and, you know, pioneering and you know with any genius that pioneers you know you're gonna have it's it can't all be you know amazing I don't know maybe Mozart didn't have any duds I don't know in any case you have this element of subtle energies within the individual somehow they get transferred with the movie to the audience. Now, another reason the psyche is so relevant and so important is because of that, you know, tip of the iceberg analogy I used at the beginning. The cinematic language is the language of the unconscious. Now, when the psyche is primarily unconscious, when the individual, when most of what's happening in the individual is happening unconsciously, and cinema speaks the language of the unconscious. And the power of the individual over their environment, when you add all these things up, cinema becomes, I mean, 
this could be highly dangerous or it could be highly enlightening. So because of the power of the psyche, which we're learning about all the time, and actually I'd like to go into that further in another, in another episode, because the power of the psyche is so huge and the majority of it is unconscious, this means, you know, a lot of our lives are determined unconsciously. You know, so we're having this conscious experience. Uh, we're trying to be happy. We're trying to achieve things. And we have this huge juggernaut, unconscious, who just is not going to shift. You know, certainly we can't steer it directly, consciously. Although we might try, it ain't going to happen. So when you have a medium as powerful as cinema that speaks the language of the unconscious, you have a tool that its effect is massive. The scope of its effect is huge. And I have to say that this aspect is not going unnoticed by, um, you know, by a certain category of producer. Producers meaning companies or people, whatever it is. So this aspect is not going unnoticed. And movies sold as entertainment, uh, you'd have to be pretty naive to think that this entertainment, as it's called, is not infused with ideologies and thoughts that its makers or financiers wish to propagate. I mean, the power of cinema over the individual, that, I mean, in many ways, that's what this podcast is about. I think that's what the, the large m majority of people are unaware of. And so... It's what I wish to learn about more, which is why I'm talking about it. So I think this kind of rounds up a couple aspects of the psyche, probably the most important aspects of the psyche that I'm interested in and wish to delve into further. I think it's probably long enough for this episode. Uh, the website is cinemainthepsyche.com. Uh, we're on the iTunes store. We're on Stitcher. Um have Facebook page, Twitter, all of these things. I'm getting my head around how to use all of these things because ultimately I'm not interested in all these things. I'm interested in cinema, but I am interested in interacting with people. Uh, ultimately, I am a filmmaker desirous of making our slate of pictures. So I do have a desire to communicate and interact with people. And so at this stage, in this moment, with this podcast, these social media platforms and all of this stuff is relevant. So being that you're also here and probably on these platforms for one reason or another, I'd really appreciate if you could like a page, leave a review on iTunes or, or just write, you know, my, I think it's Matt at cinemainthepsyche.com. That's M-A-T-T. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you lending this time. Time's valuable. I hope we can expand the form. I hope we can move into a new uh, age of cinema 
not some spiritual new agey cinema, but a cinema that is more conscious of itself and how powerful it can be and used to entertain, enlighten, and just to move us all forward. You know, we have enough problems in the world. Cinema is a huge tool. It's not being used very well at present. I would hope that we can also learn its power, also learn how to use it, and use it for propagation of the individual. So let's value the individual and join me for the next episode, episode three. Thanks again. Until next time.